Tam Luang Nang Non is a cave system beneath Dol Nan Nong, a mountain range on the border between Thailand and Myanmar. Uh, you may not think you've heard of it, but I suspect you have. Um, the system is 10 kilometers long at 6.2 miles. Uh, and has many deep recesses, narrow passages and tunnels winding hundreds of metres underground. Uh, you might wonder why am I telling you about this cave system. Well, on the 23rd of June 2018, uh, a group of 12 boys aged between 11 and 16 from a local football team uh, in Thailand with their 25-year-old assistant coach with a name I can't pronounce, uh, went missing after they set out to explore this cave with all its uh, many tunnels and recesses and passages. Uh, they ignored or did not see uh, the signs which warned of the danger of flooding. Uh, according to early news reports, they planned to have a birthday party uh, in the cave after their football practice. But unfortunately, the team was stranded in the tunnels by the sudden and continuous rainfall after they had entered the cave. And it's horrible to imagine, isn't it, what it must have been like to be in that cave, uh, deep underground, with the water level rising. It had been bad enough for those boys but perhaps especially worse for that coach who had led them there. Now keep that situation in your mind as we read this passage, because in a sense, uh, the land of Judah was in a not dissimilar situation themselves. Uh, you might remember, if you were here this morning, how we saw how God's through Isaiah, was seeking to reassure King Ahaz, the king of Judah. Uh, Judah was surrounded by these um, potentially bloodthirsty nations. There was the giant empire of Assyria uh, to their east, uh, east, I think, and above them to the north, there were the nations of Israel and Syria. And these nations were threatening to invade them, to uh, destroy the lands of Judah. And Ahaz was tempted to seek outside help uh, to rescue him from these opposing armies. Uh, but God, through Isaiah, says, do not be afraid. You are David's son. I have promised that I will keep uh, a descendant of David on the throne of Judah. Uh, Jerusalem is my city. Judah is my land. Uh, I will keep my promises to you. Sadly, however, we learn that Ahaz did not trust God. Uh, Ahaz listened to his own fears and doubts, and Israel with him uh, preferred the help of other nations than the promises of God. And in this chapter, God speaks to the people through Isaiah. And he warns them what will happen because they will not trust his promises. Uh, did you notice what verse 6 says? Now I'll read from verse 5. 
Isaiah says, The Lord also spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh, that flow softly, and rejoice in Rezin and in Remaliah's son. You might think that's very strange language. What, what is God saying through Isaiah? Well, the waters of Shiloh were the calm, peaceful source of water in Jerusalem. Uh, if people wanted to drink, they would uh, go to the waters of Shiloh, uh, this calm pool as the water flowed into Jerusalem. And uh, these waters of Shiloh represent the calm, peaceful presence of God. Uh, God promised to look after, to nourish, to sustain Jerusalem. He would be their God and they would be his people. He was like those still cool pools of Shiloh. But the people, however, refused to trust God. Instead, they thought their only hope of survival was by either defeating in their own strength or by appeasing Rezin, the king of Syria, or Pekah, the son of Israel. That's the son of Remaliah mentioned in verse 6. Notice what it says about their attitude towards them. Uh, God says in the end of verse 6, you rejoice in Rezin and in Remaliah's son. You might think that's a strange thing to say. Uh, God says that they are rejoicing in the king of Syria, Rezin. And they are rejoicing in Remaliah's son, that's the king of Israel. But this morning we saw how Ahaz was terrified of them. How can you rejoice in and be terrified of at the same time? But it's interesting. Uh, Often it's the case. When you look at what you fear you will also find pretty closely attached to it what you love. Because our loves and our fears are mingled together. Uh, We often fear that which we love most. Uh, The person who loves their job too much will be terrified if there's any suggestion that they may be made redundant. Uh, the person who loves or loves, uh, loves their wife or their partner too much will be terrified of any hint that they might leave them. And so they might be terrified of ever offending their partner in case they will leave them. And that is kind of the situation that Israel, uh, Judah were in here. Uh, there was Israel and uh, Syria setting up to attack them. And Judah thought their only security was if they were friends with these larger neighboring nations. Uh, They thought, how can we possibly win a victory against these mighty nations? Uh, In a sense, they both worshipped them and feared them. They thought their only security could come if they were in alliance with them. 
That's why God says that they are, in that sense, rejoicing in Rezin and Remaliah's son. They have a very small view of God, and they have an over-big view of these neighbouring nations which they fear so much. The irony is that God says that because they seek help from these neighbouring nations, because they seek to make peace with these neighbouring nations instead of looking to him, the very thing that they want to avoid will come upon them. And look what it says in verse 7. God says, Now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks. Uh, Do you hear what God's saying? He's saying, you should have trusted in those still peaceful waters of Shiloh. I am everything you need. You do not need to be afraid. You can trust me. But instead, you're looking to the nations and your fear of them is greater than your fear of me. So you're seeking to appease them rather than to trust me. But God says, because you have done that, those very armies will overrun you. The armies of Assyria will come And they will overflow your land. They'll come like a torrent, like a flood. And the people you thought you could make friends with will come close to your destruction. You may have heard the proverb. It's not in the Bible, but it is taught to some extent in the Bible. uh, That says uh, we often meet our destiny on the road we take to avoid it. Ever heard that? We often meet our destiny on the road we take to avoid it. In other words, if you are constantly trying to take the easy path to avoid hardship, you'll probably find more hardship in the long run. Uh, If you always cave into your fears and your anxieties, far from freeing yourself from that anxiety, you'll make your anxieties worse. Um, The more lies you tell, the more complicated your life becomes and the more lies you have to tell in order to get out of it. We think we're making life easier for ourselves, but actually we're making it harder because we often meet our destiny on the road we take to avoid it. And that is exactly what is happening to Judah here. They think they can avoid the problem by appeasing these surrounding nations, by bowing to them instead of bowing to God. But the exact opposite happens. By bowing down to them, the nations, they put themselves at the mercy of those same nations. Ahaz, as it were, thinks he is leading his nation to safety, but he does not realize that he's leading them into a corner that they will not be able to escape from by themselves. Uh, In a way, it's not unlike that coach leading those boys into that cave. Uh, They ignored or did not see the warning signs, and he led them into the caves for a party 
and in fact led them into near tragedy, but we'll come to that at the end. That is the situation Ahaz finds himself in. This is the situation the land of Judah finds themselves in. Look at verse 8, speaking of the king of Assyria. It says, he will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck. Uh, God warns that Assyria will come into Judah and there will be this torrential horde which will sweep through the towns and cities of Judah and they will be so overwhelming it will be like a man who is caught in a flood and the flood comes all the way up to his neck. Uh, Imagine the fear, imagine the panic as you slowly see the water rising right up to your neck. And Judah will bitterly regret their choice to trust in the nations rather than to trust in God, to trust in Emmanuel, to trust God who made his promises to his people. But did you notice how verse 8 ends? It says, He will pass through Judah... He will overthrow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Suddenly the message changes. God shifts from speaking to the nation of Judah with all their problems and their difficulties and their sin and rebellion and he speaks to Emmanuel this child who is yet to be born. And he says, Assyria will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And what God is reminding his people is this. Ultimately, the land of Judah is not their land. Jerusalem is not their city. Uh, David's son, the king, is not his own person. The land, the city, and the king all belong to God. It is Emmanuel's land. And though Judah may have forgotten their gods, though Judah may have uh, rejected their gods, God will not forget his people. And he will allow Assyria to sweep over the land, he will allow them to come up to the neck of Judah, but no further. Because God will keep true to his promise, but he wants them to turn to him. He will allow Assyria to go so far to compel Judah to turn back to him. Uh, in later weeks, we'll see how he did that. But that is the emphasis of these last three verses. God says, I will keep my promise no matter how rebellious you are. Look at verse 9. He says, be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. God was speaking to the people of Judah. Then he speaks to Emmanuel. And now he speaks to the nations, these nations which want to destroy Judah. And he says to them, 
you can try all you like, but you will not defeat me. Uh, Do you notice what he said twice over? He says, gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. And he says, you can put all your armor on, you can get all your horses ready, you can get your shields and your swords and your spears, Uh, you can get your nuclear weapons if they had them back then, and you can get all these things ready, you can gird yourself, you can get ready for the battle, but you have no hope of victory against me, says the Lord. It says in verse 10, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. You can have the biggest meeting you like. You can have your wisest minds. You can put all your strength together. Uh, you can have a council of nations. It will not come to anything because you cannot defeat God. And Isaiah says, speak the word, but it will not stand for God is with us. That last phrase could be translated it will not stand because of Emmanuel because that's what Emmanuel means God with us so this message of judgment to Israel to Judah ends with a message of hope God says despite your rebellion despite your ignore your ignorance of me I will not allow the nations to overwhelm you because this is Emmanuel's land you might wonder well that's all very well but what does this mean for us Um, we're not living in Jerusalem Uh, we don't have the son of David ruling over us Uh, So what application does this have for us? Does this mean that Jesus will protect us from Russia, for example? Uh, We've got a big eastern nation which might want to invade at some point. Is the lesson from this passage that we do not need to fear because God is with us? as in with the United Kingdom, with uh, the Western powers? Uh, Does this passage mean that no matter how bad things might get in life, God will always rescue us, even if it's at the 11th hour when the waters have reached up to our neck? Well, no, not exactly. Um, Reason being, uh, the United Kingdom is not the land of Israel. As I've said, our ruler is not the son of David. London is not Jerusalem. Uh, The same promises do not apply to us. In fact, Jesus, who is the son of David, said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my people would fight. But as it is, his kingdom isn't of this world. Uh, kingdoms of this world will come and go. We've seen it throughout history, haven't we? Uh, Egypt was one, once a great and mighty empire. Still exists now, but much smaller. Assyria was a great empire. Where is it now? Uh, Babylon was a great empire, but where is it now? Rome was a great empire, but where is it now? The British Empire was a great empire, but 
What is it dwindled to now? The kingdoms of this world will not last forever. And the Bible says that one day God is going to fold up, or Jesus is going to fold up this world like a, like a shirt that has, he is finished with. Uh, he'll wrap it up like a garment, the Bible says. And he will create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. But that is where this passage applies to us. Because that is where our hope should be. In this chapter, God is pleading with his people to trust in Emmanuel, to trust in this child who would come, the Messiah, who is God with us. He says, don't rely on the nations. They're feeble, they're weak. I can defeat them in a moment. Don't rejoice in them. Don't trust in them. Don't fear them. Rejoice in me. Trust me. Fear me. Look to Emmanuel. And Christ himself says to us, this world is fading. This world is passing away. Don't look around at this world and set your heart upon it. Instead, look up and see Christ and on the kingdom that he is bringing in. That is where our hope is lies not in this world now don't misunderstand me as i say that Uh, don't misunderstand me and think i'm saying that we shouldn't pray to jesus when things get tough Uh, we should pray to christ when russia threatens to invade or when some tragedy threatens to take over our life or some difficulty uh, comes across our path Um, God says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Uh, You might remember the story of Dunkirk in the Second World War. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was the last time, but it was one of the last times this nation called for a a time of prayer. Uh, Late Queen's father um, made it a national day of prayer, I believe. And those ships were wonderfully rescued and many soldiers were able to make it across the Channel. God is kind, God is merciful, God hears our cries. God is open to our pleas to him. But we need to beware stopping there. We need to beware stopping short at all that God can give to us. Because God does not just want to give us an easy life. If it was just that... It would be useless in the end because life comes to an end eventually. Uh, Look at it this way. All those soldiers who were rescued at Dunkirk, uh, that was wonderful. Uh, That gives great reason to praise God. But what happened to them a few months later? Many of them had to face gunfire again on the battlefield. What about those who escaped Dunkirk and escaped the Second World War, but 50, 60 years later were in a care home or a uh, convalescent home and had to face death eventually just the same? Do you see, God doesn't just give us temporary relief in life for a time. God wants, us to give us, wants to give us peace for all eternity. What's the point in God saving us for a few years 
if we're still not ready to face death at the end. Many people have cried out to God in some urgent situation. They've cried out to him and he's rescued them. And then what's happened? They've completely forgotten about him. They've got on on with their life. Uh, God was merciful to even listen to Pharaoh. Do you remember Pharaoh? And uh, nine times over, in fact, ten times over, he repents, the Bible says, uh, at his uh, rebellion against God. And God eases the plague that he brought ten times over, or nine times over. And yet every time, Pharaoh goes back and hardens his heart because his heart remained unchanged. We need a better hope than that. Uh, Huge crowds used to follow Jesus, and they followed him because they wanted to be fed. And Jesus fed them. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. Many people followed him because they wanted to be healed, and he healed them. But remember, it was those same crowds which cried out, crucify him, just a year or so later. That food which Jesus gave them only lasted a little while. The healing that he gave them only lasted a little while. Christ wanted to give them a better hope, an eternal hope. He said, do not labor for the bread which perishes, but labor for the bread that is eternal. And that's what God has promised to us. That's what God has promised to all who trust in him. Not a kingdom in this world. Not a kingdom that can be taken away from the next Russia which comes along or the next um, Nazi party or wherever the next enemy is. God has given us an inheritance in heaven which nobody can take away. That's where our hope is. That's where our hope should be. And that's where these words given to Ahaz and the king of Judah are so relevant to us. Do you set your heart on this world? Do you, like Ahaz, look at this world to give you the peace and the security and the satisfaction that you desperately need? Perhaps you're afraid, perhaps you're fearful, and you're looking in this world to get that security that you want. God says to you, you won't find it there. You might find it for a while. You might find it for a few years. Probably not even that. If you want that security, trust me. Trust Emmanuel. Trust God with us. That is where true security is found. And if you look at the whole Old Testament, that is really what the story of the Old Testament is. Uh, It's God seeking to show us how trustworthy he is. Story after story tells us God can be relied on. Story after story tells us that there is great danger turning your back on his promises, but there's great joy and peace to be found by turning to him. That is the message of Isaiah to Ahaz. And it's the message of Isaiah to us as well. Do not look to this world. Look to Christ. But you might say, yes, but I've made many mistakes. Uh, I think we all could say that. 
we've perhaps made bad choices in our life up to this point and we've got ourselves into a difficult situation. Perhaps we're a little bit like uh, those boys uh, going into that cave, ignoring the warning signs, blindly following their coach into this cave, and they find themselves deep underground with the water level rising. And they think, what have we done? How can we get out of this? Well, thankfully, they did. Um, I'm sure you know the story, but they went missing on the 23rd of June, Uh, But thankfully, uh, they were able to get a message through or or people realised where they had gone. And between the 8th and 10th of July, all 12 boys and their coach were rescued from the cave by an international team. Uh, From my research, uh, I understand the rescue effort involved as many as 10,000 people, including more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, representatives from about 100 governmental agencies, 900 police officers and 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters and 7 ambulances were all involved in rescuing those boys from that desperate situation they'd got themselves in. But you know that two divers died in the effort. Two divers seeking to rescue the boys died. One died, um, I believe, by drowning while during the rescue. Another died from complications later from the diving exercise. Two men sacrificed their life to save those boys, but in a much deeper way, in a much more important way, though that is important enough. Jesus gave his life so that we could be rescued from the desperate situation that we have got ourselves into. Perhaps you've made mistakes. Perhaps you're like King Ahaz, and you've got yourself into a terrible situation because you've relied on yourself and not on God. Well, it's not too late. It's not too late because of Emmanuel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the message of these few chapters of Isaiah. God keeps his promise even when we failed our end. When we've messed up, we can look to Christ and we can see that he's paid the penalty. He's paid the price. He, in a much greater way than even those divers who died for those boys, he has died for us to rescue us from whatever situation we have gotten ourselves into. In the next few weeks, we'll see in much more detail how that is so. But trust me, you can see the fundamental message. Uh, Do not trust this world. Do not put your hope in this world. Instead, put your hope in Christ. He is the only place of safety. And he died that you might enjoy that safety. That's why I've chosen as our final hymn, number 93. Number 93, through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. And particularly verse 6, fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make you his service your delight, your wants shall be his care. So we'll stand to sing in closing, number 93.